Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. Sarah Jacobs, imagine that you own a baseball card and mm. there's a serial number on that card that says number one. But in fact, during the lifetime of that card, a million of them were printed and they're all identical except yours says number one. <laughs> Got it so far? I think so. Okay, now let's say you send it to your lawyer because you think it's valuable and she puts it into a safety deposit box and you never see it again. You oh own it and you have physical possession concept, but not in reality because it's sitting in some safety deposit box somewhere. So my question to you is, does that baseball card still have value? I would assume so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it exists. It exists. So even though you don't have physical possession and it's yeah. one of a million, it has value. Okay. And it says number one on it. Well, it says number one on it. Well, <laughs> today we're talking, at least at the top of the show, about NFTs, non-fungible tokens that have been in the news recently. Uh, and <laughs> NFTs are unique files that live on this thing called the blockchain, where uh, a, uh, where owners are able to verify the ownership of a piece of digital art, if that's what's being registered in the blockchain. And this allows the file to be bought or sold like a physical piece of art. NFTs are typically purchased using cryptocurrency. And mm. the reason why we're bringing it up this week, even though it's been in the news for like a month, is because we finally saw a bunch of photo-based NFT sales in the five-figure range in the past week. Yes, so we it's, did. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It is. It's, re it's reached the photo world. I saw, uh, you know, about a month ago, the artist Beeple, who... I don't know if anyone knows the artist people. I, I sure didn't until he sold a collage of his previous works through Christie's for $69 million. And I think that sale was the one where everyone said, whoa, we better start paying attention uh, to NFTs. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a little skeptical when I actually looked at that piece. But again, you know, there it's the first major art, NFT, and so in a sense, it has a lot of value, but you found a bunch of NFTs in the photo world. Why don't you talk to us about those? Yeah, so this week, Walter Yost Jr., who was a longtime Sports Illustrated staffer, um, sold an image of none other than the Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the photo was taken in Detroit, Michigan in 1987, and um, Walter sold it as an NFT via Maker's Place for a cool $55,978. It's a lot of coin. Um, it, it, is, it is a lot of coin. And he's, he's selling uh, nine other images under his series, The Goats. Uh, Yost was Michael Jordan's official photographer um, and actually co-authored a book entitled Rare Air in 1993. Um, and he was one of a very select group of photographers to have photographed every Super Bowl um, until COVID ended his 54-year streak. It's unbelievable. So he's got, yeah, he's, he's got experience under his belt. And now he has sold um, an amazing photo of Michael Jordan and made a, a pretty penny. You know, you brought up baseball cards at the top of the show, and that's. I think it's interesting because this making this much money off of a picture of Michael Jordan reminds me of um, basically like the trading card boom of the 1980s. Um, I I once interviewed Sacramento Kings photo photographer Rocky Widner, um, 
who was photographing uh, in the 1980s and b- basically told me that the trading cards um, really became very profitable for photographers. Um, and he claims that he bought his first beach house selling a photo of Michael Jordan. <laughs> so Michael Jordan just continues to um, make money for these sports photographers. I love it. You know, it's interesting in in the case of the baseball card and in the case of, you know, producing that photo and in case of Walter's selling the NFTs, you're never as a consumer buying the intellectual property license. Like you don't have the moral rights to the image, nor do you buy the commercial rights to Michael Jordan. You're simply buying that version of that image. Mm -hmm. So again, for all the people that say, wow, well, NFTs, you don't get anything. And there's a million copies of that JPEG out there. It's like, yeah, but that's also true when you look at baseball cards and, you know, you have a very limited piece of ownership when you buy that baseball card. You, you own that piece of cardboard that has a picture imprinted on it, but you don't own all the other baseball cards that have the picture. You don't own the picture. You can't license that picture. So it, it's an interesting uh, intellectual exercise in value. Then we saw a piece in the New York Times about the supermodel Emily Ratajkowski, who we discussed earlier this year for her New York Magazine essay called Buying Myself Back, When Does a Model Own Her Own Image? She uh, has been the subject of appropriation art by our least favorite photographer, Richard Prince. (laughs) (laughs) And in the New York Times piece, uh, there's a quote that says, as someone who has built a career off of sharing my image so many times, even though that's my livelihood, it's taken from me and then somebody else profits off of it, she says. And every time this NFT is resold, she receives an undisclosed cut of every resale, which is something that Rick Smolin brought up when we interviewed him a month ago. Mm-hmm. So That's that, right, he did. Yeah, that aspect of, of the blockchain, NFT, of course, you know, you have to set up the sale that way. Um, but it doesn't exist in, in the analog world for the mm-hmm. artist to, you know, perpetually recoup some portion of the sale, resale. Emily's piece will be titled, quote, buying myself back a model for redistribution. Very punny. Very punny. Yeah, pre- yeah, yeah, definitely. It'll be sold through the art house Christie's um, on May 14th. And I, I just want to describe the image because it's just a real, it's a real rich person kind of image. It's, a, it's not even a traditional photograph. It is a digital composite showing Emily photographed in her New York apartment but posing in front of the Richard Prince painting that hangs in her Los Angeles home. So, so it's not even really her in front of the print. Um, <laughs> it's just a digital makeup of that, which I think is pretty interesting. And I think it'll be interesting to see if the person who ends up buying it does end up reselling it. And then, you know, how many hands it turns over in terms of her, you know, getting that little cut for every time. That, I mean, the meta-ness of this particular NFT Mm -hmm. seems more interesting to me than Walter's image of Jordan. I might be crazy for saying that, but I think because of what she went through with the appropriation and her essay, to me, it has more interesting value in some ways. I don't know whether society would agree with that at large since more people know Michael Jordan than know Emily Ratajkowski. Yeah, I definitely think like, 
from an aesthetics point of view, strictly like the, the Michael Jordan shot is a much more interesting picture. (laughs) Um, but yeah, you're right. Like this, this thought behind, um, Emily's NFT is certainly, certainly something interesting. And the Beeple sold for 69 million and that ain't anything pretty to look at. I know. (laughs) I know. You can't even tell what's going on there. (laughs) You found a last example of something that sold in the past week by a photographer who I have a whole lot of respect for, Ruben Wu. Yeah, Ruben Wu. Um, He sold this amazing... Honestly, this one is my favorite of all the finds from the week. I'm not going to lie. He sold a a GIF-like work of art that is it's video captured by a modified drone that he uses um, used to trace light over a tiny wooded island in Sweden. And so it, it just, when you look at the, the piece of work, it just looks like lightning striking this very tiny island um, with some water surrounding it. And it's honestly, it's fascinating to look at. It's interesting to watch. And also, I think the way that he created created it is really fascinating. That sold for $57,000. And another amazing fact about Ruben uh, was that he is a co-founder of the band Lady Tron. <laughs> <laughs> He's a keyboardist. Yes. And uh, you, if you don't know Lady Tron, you can find them on like every single music service. They're kind of like, yeah. how would you describe that music? Oh my god! Um, like t- techno inspired. Oh, I'm gonna get eaten alive by like music <laughs> fans. I I, I don't want to do that. I, all I can say is that I recommend the song Seventeen. It's a it's a banging banging track. <laughs> uh, Ruben has phenomenal hair. Uh, he yes. has to because he's like a pop star, right? He's also a <laughs> yeah. Phase One ambassador. And he's known, you've probably seen his work before because Petapixel covers it all the time. He's known for outfitting a little drone with LEDs to draw abstract shapes against these, you know, incredible landscapes. And the concept started in 2016 with a project called Lux Noctis, where he was using a drone um, with a light attached to it as sort of a spotlight to light paint, you know, Mm. stone landscapes and whatnot. But he improved upon that concept in 2018, when he started to draw circular halos over landscapes. And that's become sort of his signature look. There's there's like this very like UFO look to all the images, but because the landscapes are so beautiful and the, the overhead illumination of that circle creates like a very special kind of cast of light, uh, I find it fascinating. He is such a talented person between his hair <laughs> um, his music <laughs> and and this artwork that he's done that he's really evolved and it, it's very cool to see somebody making you know that amount of coin <laughs> um, for a work piece of work that's just like really cool. So the piece uh, that you mentioned, this animated GIF like artwork, sold for fifty seven thousand six hundred twenty one dollars and ninety two cents at whatever value Ethereum, the cryptocurrency, was worth at the time. I should mention that he recently pimped out the Phase 1 XT, which is a medium format camera system uh, that has a 150 megapixel back. And when I saw that he was pimping that out, uh, I said to myself, boy, I, I, I need one of those. And I looked at the price and the retail <laughs> price was $56,990. So... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he barely oh, paid for the price, the retail price of that camera by selling that, that piece. 
Oh, phase ones are another level. Another level. You know, so what? What's your what's your closing thought about NFTs? Do you think it's going to end up being tulip mania oh. and it's going to crash, or do you think it's legit? I, I'm still processing uh, what this means, like for the art world and for artists in general. I, I want to lean into. I hope that it's going to be good, and especially the the comment that Rick Smolin made on the show just about um, you know the original artists actually getting a cut from here on out whenever that um, piece of art turns over to a new hand or a new, uh, a new buyer. Um, but it also, you know, it's getting a lot of ridicule in, in the Twitter world and just online, um, especially because of how much energy it takes um, yeah. to to buy these with Bitcoin or whatever coin you choose to use. Um, so, eh, I'm not sure. What do, what about you, Alan? Yeah, I mean the the energy concern is real. So anytime you try to insert something into the blockchain, the blockchain is this cryptographic cryptographically maintained ledger. That's the easiest way to think about it. But every time you you insert something into the blockchain, you have to do massive computer calculations. And when you're using computers in that way, it burns a lot of energy. And there's been a lot of discussions about the fact that cryptocurrencies will reclaim all of the gains that we've made by cutting our carbon emissions. So they're terrible wow. from an environmental perspective. There, there are, of course, discussions about how they can be more environmentally friendly, but it, it's, not, it's not a great foundational uh, premise to have such an energy-intense mechanism for trading currency and, and trading values. So that's, that's one concept. Number two, I think that you know, like when you have a lot of content, there's going to be good content and most of the content is going to be mediocre. People like uh, Ruben Wu and Walter Yost Jr. can sell these for tens of thousands of dollars because they are known in the photographic world or in the art world for creating incredible pieces. I don't mm -hmm. think, for example, I'm going to be selling anything anytime in my lifetime that's worth five figures. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, and so I think people have to be real, realistic. I mean, first mover advantage, you throw, you know, some crap up onto the wall and maybe you make a couple thousand dollars and you think you're the new, you know, you think you're the new Ruben Wu. But for most people, it's not going to turn into to anything, I think. Mm -hmm. And then my last thought is, you know, what if this is really just a huge money laundering operation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 <laughs> Which yeah, can be totally. said true of art in general, right? When, yes. when values are so skewed, it's easy to sort of hide money in these in these things. So, I mean, who mm -hmm. knows whether it's going to crash. I'm glad that some of these artists are, are getting some value out of selling these NFTs now because, you know, Walter Yost, he deserves to make money off of his photography, especially if COVID yeah. prevents him from shooting his 55th Super Bowl in a row, you know? Totally. <laughs> So on the polar opposite side of NFTs, um, we're now going to talk about still art that has been sold. But this time, um, it's some of the earliest photos taken by William Henry Fox Talbot that were auctioned off um, at Sotheby's. Um, it was a set of 191 images, and they sold for a whopping $1,956,000. That's a good amount of money. Um, the estimate for the pre-auction was actually only three hundred to five hundred thousand. So it 
greatly surpassed that. The images depict some, you know, pretty uh, pretty normal stuff that was going on in the 1840s, including <laughs> indoor and outdoor scenes, spanning architecture, botany, and just like regular daily life. Um, but Sotheby's said that it's arguably the most important lot of 19th century photographs to ever come to the market. There was a quote in a CNN piece that I thought was interesting. Emily Bierman, who's the head of uh, the photography department at Sotheby's, says that photo sales have weathered the pandemic more successfully than many other parts of the auction market, which has been severely disrupted by limits on viewing events and in-person sales. She attributed some of this to first-time buyers who may see photography as a more accessible and affordable way into art collecting, which is fantastic. cool. I know. We like hearing that. Yeah. So whether it's NFTs or it's uh, the oldest images in the world, I guess there's a nice, it's a nice time to be in that market. Totally. The Guardian had a really nice roundup of some of the best images with some commentary. So we'll have that link along with all the other links that we mentioned on the show today at our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. You can't auction things off without paying the auction house a fee. I looked up Sotheby's seller fees and it's 21% for lots between 400000 and $4 million. So somebody paid $400,000 in fees for selling that, uh, that set of images. Ooh, that is, that is a lot. Um, I mean, I remember studying Talbot in uh, history of photo. Like he's the first, one of the first dudes to come up out of many dudes <laughs> that you then study. Um, but apparently, yeah, he was a scientist and an inventor uh, who created this salted paper method like and and it's noted that he created that while he was on vacation so he definitely sounds like somebody who could not relax (laughs) (laughs) if you're like still inventing stuff while you're on vacation like you need to chill um he also created the calotype process and these were precursors to photographic processes um of the later 19th and and the 20th century in february we talked about the zeely daguerreotypes and louis daguerre the person who invented the namesake daguerreotype he announced the creation of the daguerreotype in 1839 without providing any details. So it was like a, you know, a in-development product announcement uh, that like Nikon <laughs> likes to make nowadays. So Talbot, mm. who was concerned about getting credit, i.e. priority of invention, um, he, he said that he based his experiments on, on work that began in 1834, and he actually showed examples to the Royal Institution in, in Britain in 1835. He then went on to obtain the English patent for the calotype process in 1841 and ironically was widely criticized by the academic world who thought at the time that patenting new discoveries was a hindrance to scientific freedom, which I thought was fascinating because it's sort of the same argument against copyright, patent processes, and intellectual property now. You know, there's the open source side of software development and then there's the, you know, we do everything for profit. So it's interesting Mm. to see that even back then, the same arguments were being made about what knowledge is worth. It's worth noting that also at the same auction, um, Salgado's Serra Palada goldmine Brazil uh, image, or a couple images, uh, fetched $126,000. And whoa, that image is is incredible. (laughs) That's a sweet image. If you've never seen it It, before... It is this gold mine that has like hundreds of people climbing up these wooden ladders. They're all carrying dirt 
that hopefully has gold in it on their backs. And it's, it looks unbelievable. But $126,000, who the heck needs NFTs when you can take a photo like that? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Wiltsum Field Guides released a Texas barbecue edition. And you know what, Ellen? We weren't, uh, we weren't notified or called for our photos that we took when we were down in Austin um, doing a, a photo tour with Wyatt McSpadden. Well, that's great. They, I mean, we were right there. Yeah, we were with Wyatt. We took the photos. They were phenomenal. I'm, I'm a little, I just think it's a little rude. <laughs> um, no, but the, the book looks fabulous. Um, this is a company that was founded in 2012 and they essentially published travel books, um, you know, that claim to share kind of like the real treasures of each place. And this particular one that features Texas barbecue um, has more than 60 iconic photographs taken by Wyatt, like I mentioned, Leon Mueller, Kenny Braun, O. Rufus Lovett, Jody Horton, um, among many others. Uh, and the images, oh man, talk about some food porn. There's a lot of like just overhead uh, table shots of like barbecue spreads. And I will never get tired of looking at that type of picture. Those, those <laughs> images are great. Those photographers are fantastic. I really like the vibe of the Wilson Field Guides. Um, it, feels, it feels like maybe a little bit hipster, but, you know, the design yeah. is beautiful. The photos are beautiful. The information is beautiful. I might actually have to pick up a copy of that. Yeah, absolutely. I never heard of this uh, publishing um, brand, but next time I go on a trip which I hope is sooner rather than later, <laughs> I, would, I would definitely look into whatever city I'm going to, see if there's a, see if there's a Wilson book. Finally today, you know, last week we talked about this new website and Instagram account called Gatekeeping, which was, you know, the 2021 version of best business practices. And one of the founders of that website, Emiliano Granado, DM'd me, to assert, because I, I said that they're all like millennials and, you know, Gen yeah. Zs and it's a hip way of, of viewing this stuff. And Emiliano yeah. DM'd me to say that he is squarely within Gen X. And oh. I responded to him that to me, <laughs> he's forever young in my mind <laughs> because I've known, I've known him for, you know, like a decade, if not more. So, Oh, that's, a, you know, good, good for him. He's sticking up for himself. Yeah, man, Emiliano, <laughs> it's okay. Gen X, we're okay. We're okay. Okay. I love it. Hey, love it. if you're listening to this podcast, hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating or a review. You can always tweet at us at Photoshelter. We'd love to get feedback from you. Once again, all the links that we talked about today, you can find on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.